I keep clicking the stop video button when I click back to zoom. <laughs> Tom, turn your video off. It's like you've gone off in a huff, John. <laughs> I can't believe you said that, Liz. <laughs> okay, that was a bit of a visual joke. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very 83rd episode of Octothorpe, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom, which is coming to you on the 11th of May 2023, and King Charles has got his crown on. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. Did you guys enjoy the coronation? Probably. We're recording this one immediately after we recorded episode 82 because um, we have a load of stuff to talk about about EasterCon and so on. But we couldn't do any of that because we were too busy talking about the Hugo nominations in time for you to nominate. So I spent the coronation playing board games. Right then, we have letters of comment. Uh, we don't have letters of comment on last episode because of what Alison just said, but we do have a letters of comment on the two episodes from before that. So strap in. First up, we have a letter of comment from Raj, who says that he strongly agrees with me that Digger is excellent and uh, did point out that I hadn't put the link in the show notes, but I have fixed that now. He has a hard copy, which is the omnibus that Sofa Wolf Press did years back, and it is a beast of a book. And I have not got a hard copy, but I can, I can imagine that it's quite big. Can you? Uh, yes. <laughs> Liz. Um, maybe to say uh, thank you to everyone who watched us live at EasterCon and left a comment. And to those who watched us live and then listened to the actual podcast, which I think is going above and beyond. Um, thank you to Fran, who left us a letter of comment. Uh, and I think this might be a new one. She left us a letter of comment in the Discord thread for our item on the EasterCon Discord. Um, and she's basically off to give her cats a dreamies via the medium of interpretive dance, which is another way of giving us a letter of comment. I would also like to say thank you to everyone who made our item at Conversation the one with the most Discord comments. I don't think this is a reflection of the um, engagement with the item so much as A, our listeners like to back-channel a bunch of uh, shit at us in the, in the Discord and also that we did start about half an hour late so they had to really entertain themselves. Johnny Badley also watched live and then listened to the podcast afterwards. So, uh, so yeah, that is uh, it is um, is dedication. I mean, I didn't do that. There was some serious discussion about looking at the amount of engagement on the Discord as a measure of how good program items were. And guys, don't do that. Our program item was the best program item. We have the most comments on the Discord of any item at conversation by a factor of about three, I think. The other thing about the live thing is at the end of it, it just kind of finished and then they turned off my Zoom and I was like, oh, that means I don't get to say goodbye to John and Liz and Liz is going back to Thailand because immediately now I am going to get in a car, get in a plague-ridden car and drive back to London. But neither of the other two people in the car got the plague, so there you go. But I didn't get to say goodbye, so bye-bye, chaps. Bye, Alison. We also heard from Hispania Sheriff, who let us know that there is a D&D TV series in the works, uh, in which Joe Manganiello is adapting the Dragonlance series to TV, which we now know was a formative book series for both 
Neil Harrison and Adrian Tchaikovsky. So, um, so yeah, uh, interesting stuff. He's also working on a documentary. Uh, he is a massive nerd. It's good. I like it. Farah Mendelssohn wrote to say that we can't hold the Eastcon in Wales because we can't find a suitable venue, which I think is something that most people agree. And she also says that Telford is the main convention venue for Wales. Um, Welsh people, write in. I remember the Chester Eastcon. I wish we could go back to Chester. That was a great. That was a great venue. Chester is also not a primary convention venue for Wales. Well, better than Telford. But in terms of being in Wales... If there is a spectrum of Welshness, Chester is more Welsh than Telford. Yeah. I suspect that's just angered Welsh people uh, and Chester people, so that's good. So we have a letter of comment from James Shields about Plan Z, and we mentioned this in episode 80. He confirms that it is a fork of Zambia... Uh, and he does note, for a while I felt that naming your project after an African country might be culturally insensitive. That is a fair uh, fair thing to point out that we did not cover uh, at the end of episode 80. There is a GitHub for Plan Z and listener to the show, Andrew January, has created a GitHub issue to suggest changing the name away from Plan Z. And we will put a link to that issue in the show notes if you want to, uh, if you want to contribute there are some other names being suggested and whatnot. If I had known there was a GitHub repo for Plan Z, I would have gone and uh, raised an issue myself, but I did not know. So thank you to Andrew for telling us. Yes, Z Graves has suggested the name Ariadne because it weaves a lot of threads together. And I, I super like that. Plus it supports our spider theme. More spiders in science fiction, please. On the subject of spiders in science fiction, Esther... McCann Stewart uh, wrote in to tell us that there will be a Spiders track at Glasgow in 2024. There will also be one about armadillos and one devoted to Badger. And collectively, the Badger, Armadillo and Spiders tracks will be called All About That BAS, uh, which is an incredibly tortured joke that I loved. Thank you very much, Esther. It's pretty good. Chris Garcia wrote to us on the 31st of March. And he says, it was another good episode. And notes that there has been small-scale octopus farming for centuries by his tribe. Uh, you'd find corrals of thornwood, redwood and oak built in tiny bays that would keep them in pens. They used a lasso to catch them and dumped them in there. The oak is sturdy, the thornwood prickly and the redwood full of tannins that octopus don't much care for. They also supposedly penned in dolphins, but they don't get residuals from SeaWorld. That is a horrific uh, thing to tell us. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, there's a difference between kind of trapping some wild octopus behind plants they don't like and having a massive Chinese octopus farm, right? The Chinese octopus farm, of course, being in Spain. Famous for its Chinese farms, Spain. Uh, he also notes, if the third row panel isn't held with all the participants sitting in the third row, then we all are leaving money on the table. Uh, as Andrew Hogg has said many a time, the third row isn't a place. If a third rower sits in a row, that row is the third row, and so it shall always be. One of the best lines in the third row panel was Mark Plummer pointing out that um, in that same third row where third row fandom was formed, um, Peter Maybe was sitting, who was 78 at the time. We have always, so we have known, we knew Peter Maybe was in third row fandom. He doesn't respond to our emails, but like he is more than welcome. Peter, if you're listening, uh, there's a Discord. Chengdu is a shower segment. 
Uh, it's sunny spells this week. Not much showering is occurring. I would say I did have a chat to Francesco Verso at Eastercom, who I think is helping out in some ways on program for Chengdu, and it all sounded pretty good, actually. I was delighted that Sandra Bond, who was one of the candidates that I nominated, is going to be the TAF delegate to Pemicon in Winnipeg in August. So Pemicon is the NASFIC and I'm th- I think Sandra's will be election delegate and I was very pleased to see her win. And I hope that Nikolai will run again because he had a lot of support in Europe and I think also could do with making more connections in, in the US to pick up North American votes there. Yeah, is, is it Nikolai's third loss? Se- I think it's second. Second, sorry, second. Okay, so he's. I don't. I, I feel sorry for anyone who runs twice and loses both times. Um, and I hope they will run again. I think there might be. Oh, I'm trying to think of a way of saying this. Uh, that is, um, to lose once is sad. To lose twice m- might mean you need to uh, change your North American nominators to people who will actually get your vote out. Um, I'm sure the people that. Mikelage picked were great um but i would maybe i mean chris garcia he's very good at getting people to vote for people like consider writing him an email like there are there are merits in choosing your nominators carefully in the territory you're less well known in that wasn't very diplomatic but um but yes for a race um where the final date was the day after eastercon <laughs> sandra chose three european nominators who were all on the Eastercon committee. Yeah, I will also say Sandra's selection of uh, nominators was, um, sorry, Sandra, terrible. Because uh, you're basically choosing three people who all appeal to the same. Oh, thanks a lot. Oh, no. I mean, but you want to choose three people who will appeal to different demographics, not three people who are all in the same group of people. Um, so, yes, like, I think that's one area where Mikelage did better because he had a much wider range of European uh, nominators. But Sandra won, so, you know, hindsight is irrelevant. Sandra did pick at least one nominator who went round every single person at Corflu going, have you voted in TAF yet? And not leaving until they either said yes or went and did it. So that will have helped. But I mean, when, when you say, you know, you should pick your North American nominators very, you know, very carefully, I think it's possible that, you know, Sandra's nominators, uh, John D. Berry and Ted White, also kind of appeal to a similar constituency, right? I mean, maybe that yeah, is... A... Sandra... Oh, yeah, but Sandra is incredibly well-known in North America fandom. Okay. The point The point is you need to make sure... So, like, I did a blog post... This is getting slightly into the weeds. But I did a blog post after the 2013 race where I broke down how many of the votes for Jim Mowat came from... Because you, 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 when you get the votes as the administrator in the old days, it would have on the bottom what where the form came from because you were still getting PDFs of forms. And it became very clear that over half of the votes that were submitted had been distributed by Randy Byers. And so picking an administrator who works to get the vote out gets you, and and if you get someone who's good at it, gets you a lot of votes. And um, it's one of those things where I know uh, in British fandom, we like to pretend that campaigning doesn't help, but campaigning really helps. So you gotta you got to make sure that you've picked people who will campaign and campaign hard. 
This is also why uh, when Warren Buff ran in 2000 and... I can't remember when, but a while back. 2012, he picked Paul Cornell, which I remember thinking was a weird choice because I think there were some people who were put off by the fact he had picked a pro. But also, I could not in any way imagine Paul Cornell wandering around an Eastercon nagging people to vote. Uh, it just does not seem like a Paul thing to do in any way. So yeah, I think there, there's an art to picking people who are bolshy and who will. Yes, I, I don't think I nagged anyone at the Eastercon to vote. No, well, if 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 I had been... If I'd been Sandra, I would have picked someone who was not working the Eastercom to go with you and um and one of the other two perhaps. But um So what what I find interesting in a way is how swingy the vote totals are in TAF. Oh yeah. And this was definitely one of our lower lower numbered ones. But it's interesting in how they kind of swing from over two hundred to kind of under a hundred. And I thought at first it might be on the direction of the race. More people vote in the races that are sending us nominees to the uk or eu than the other way but actually it's not it's just so obviously there's some people who are really getting out the vote or maybe it's related to the number of people who run in the race because you all like mobilize the same small set of people but yeah it is interesting maybe i will dig into this further for a future episode yeah i think i think it is definitely true i mean i say definitely i i strongly suspect that it's true that that if you have active nominators, the vote total goes up quite considerably. Like when Liam ran against, when Liam and Graham Charnock ran in 2011 against me, like Liam had like 80 voters just in Europe because he was so like on it, but he did not have the North American strength to pull it through. Also, Liam, if you're listening, uh, we hope you recover fully and quickly. Yeah, no. I don't think he is listening, but, um, but yes, if he is. Sorry, Liam. And then the EFF, or F, F. EFF is, can be confused with other things. F can't be confused with anything else, uh, right? Uh, no, but the European Fan Fund was won. By Matilda Nachitska. Congratulations to them and commiserations to James Shields, who ran and didn't really want to win, I don't think, uh, but wanted the race to happen and wanted it to be contested. Uh, so, yes, but they will visit Conflict, which is in Uppsala in Sweden, in June. And we didn't get an awful lot of votes for it. So I think, which is not surprising given that it was a new fund, but I think we'd like to see some more enthusiasm for this for next time because I do think it's a great idea. Um, it will get some help because it got, um, it's getting 20% of the fan funds, funds raised at um conversation which spoiler is an enormous amount of money so that's quite good i think this is a good lesson about how although hybrid conventions are great they might not be very good at getting fan fund votes out because i think if if marcine had been on site at eastcon maybe he could have done some more wandering around encouraging people to vote and also if the person at eastcon was the person in the race who didn't want to win as much maybe he did less campaigning than he might have done so i think what we probably need and was also quite busy Yes, and was also quite busy. So like, what you probably want is a British or Irish fan uh, to run who wants to win and is at EasterCon if your deadline is going to be just after EasterCon because that will help get votes in. Yeah, or, or you could have the sort of British fans who um, get the vote out for these things not actually also running the EasterCon, also a good thing. So next year, I think we'll get more votes out. Hopefully, because when I, when I look at... So the contributions from the voting fees, because there are only 33 voters, 
the voting fees are about uh, about 200 quid when I did all the conversions um, because it sends out 353 uh, Polish floti is not a huge amount of money in uh, pounds. So I think they will have to try and get the vote out a bit because it's probably not sustainable to run a fan fund on kind of that plus 20% of a fan fund auction revenue. I think there's money, basically. Moshi's very relaxed about having operating funds for this at the moment. And also maybe we'll get TAP reports or things. I mean, I've sold quite a lot of Sue's TAF report and I'm going to sell a lot more. So that does actually, it's going to be a useful amount of money for TAF. Um, shall we talk about the EasterCon? We've kind of already started talking about EasterCon, um, so that's good. Um, but yeah, shall we do that some more? Yeah, there was an EasterCon. Are we doing the elef- elephant in the room first or last? <laughs> it's the Ogtothorpe COVID Policy Roundup. Yeehaw! Um, a lot of people caught COVID at EasterCon, Um we started counting, but we stopped counting when it was obvious it was going to be enormous numbers. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter once you get up about above about 80 cases. It's like, oh, yes, there's loads of cases, which it was. Yeah, I mean, I did my own personal mini count based on what I could see on Discord, Facebook and Twitter, and I got somewhere over 100. But yeah, I guess when your question is, did we give it to 10% of the convention or 15% of the convention? Okay. You know, okay. maybe that's not a big, a big issue. A lot of people caught COVID at conversation. I would prefer that we did not use the phrase, how many people did we give COVID to? We didn't give COVID to anybody. A lot of people caught it that weekend. I'll just leave all of that in and I'm sure that'll be fine. I'm completely fine with that because, you know, it's a lot of different things. And people, I hope that we did tell people, if you come to a convention where we put 800 people in a hotel all weekend, um, there's a good chance you're going to get COVID. Because I think we did say that fairly clearly. Uh, you know, and that's why we had a hybrid programme where <laughs> you didn't need to come to the convention if you didn't want to catch an illness. We knew it was going to be quite a high number because last year, on by the close of Monday of the EasterCon, we'd had five reports. And this year, by the 10 o'clock committee meeting on Monday morning, we had had 28 reports. So, you know, <laughs> a lot. Yes, I believe. So I caught COVID and Alison caught COVID and Liz did not catch COVID, I believe. Did you Did you catch COVID, John? I got COVID. I tested positive on Monday last week. Uh, so um, I suspect I got it. I don't think I got it at the convention. I either got it from Hispania or I got it when I went home to visit my parents. Um, it would be hilariously bad luck if I avoided it at the EasterCon and got it on a train to Peterborough uh, while fully masked. But um, But there you are. But it's very mild. If I hadn't test, if Hispania hadn't had it, I would not have tested. I had a very vaguely sore throat. Uh, but yes, Hispania got it um, with the unfortunate that there's an unfortunate side effect, which is that Hispania has decided, I think, that future EastCons without mask mandates will not be a thing she comes to. Um, so that might mean I am not at them either, which makes me slightly sad. I was hoping that despite being quite convinced this would end up being a rather large um, incidence of COVID, I was hoping I was wrong. Uh, And I am very sad I was not wrong. And um, yeah, I haven't quite processed that yet because I've been to every EastCon since 2007 and it will be weird to break that streak. Um, But that's that. That's how the cookie crumbles. Everyone's got their own thresholds. 
my thresholds and my wife's thresholds are clearly in a different place from the communities and um and that's just something i have to i have to sort of process uh, in my own time i think there's a wide range of views in the community because there's definitely people who are there with you um the problem is we'd have had a lot of covid at that convention even if we'd had a full mask mandate we wouldn't have had as much definitely but we wouldn't have mandated masking in the hotel bar um or in the breakfast room of the hotel we couldn't have done or in the Hilton's executive lounge or the swimming pool and and there was spread in all of those cases that we know about there as i said before as i said in the episode before the convention it's all about shifting the probability distribution to the left where you can and there were things the eastcon could have done to shift it to the left that they chose not to um which i understand and as i say my thresholds are in a different place from the communities clearly um but that does mean that it has an effect on my future congoing and um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend it doesn't you know i am uh, cognizant of the fact that that you know it's not designed around me and my experience and that's that's right and proper but it does mean in this instance that i i am going to be one of the ones that don't come to as many in-person conventions and that makes me deeply deeply sad like really sad but there's nothing i can do about it other than other than argue but i tried that and it doesn't work so now it's time to get used to it i think well i think far as planning to tighten up the mask mandate for levitation but and i will have to be at levitation because i'm doing a big job for glasgow that will mandate my being there but i have no interest in spending my own money to go to events that do have mask mandates so you know no yeah i mean i mean that's it right you you have what you have won and i have lost but it does feel very much like i have lost i don't think i have won because i think levitation is going to tighten up and i think i'll have to go there anyway but if that becomes the way if if easter cons decide that masking to prevent people from getting very mild sore throats is the way they're going then um i mean obviously people can mask if they like I think that's completely fine. And I don't, wouldn't have a problem that says in programme items you mask, but I do have a problem that says in all convention spaces you mask. So, you know, because I like seeing my friends smile and I, I'm happy to see them smile online, which is something I do every day. I will it? just say Hispania has been mostly unconscious for about a week because it has completely exhausted her. So it's not just that she got a very mild sore throat. And that's the problem. You don't know in advance. I mean, eventually everyone has to have it for the first time, right? Because it's a cold. It's going to spread into the um, system of diseases like all other coronaviruses have. I say, well, we don't know that. I don't think we can say this is a bunch of very mild sore throats. Because, yes, if it was the only effect of COVID or you've got a very mild sore throat, then, yes, I think it would be different. But we know there's a spectrum of, you know, very mild sore throats through to, you know, still serious disease and ongoing serious disease. So I don't think it's... I don't think it's very sensible also to say, oh, well, eventually it'll be like a coronavirus or like the other coronaviruses because we don't know it will. And we also have no idea how long that might take. So we'll come back on Octothorpe 3027 to, to see how that one went. I would say personally that while I knew there was a risk of COVID at EasterCon, the numbers were shockingly high even to me. When you say, you know, there was transmission going... I don't think you can say where transmission happened. I mean, yes, obviously the breakfast room and the bar were, were poorly ventilated and full of people close together. But what I what I think is like, is there a middle ground we can do, which is make it possible for people to attend and enjoy the convention without putting themselves at risk, while still allowing people who want to do the riskier things to do them. And I think my my attitude is still that you know 
you could draw a line which was make it possible for people to go into basically say masks in program space masks in the dealer's room masks in the art show masks in those spaces and have a mask a mandatory mask social space and then basically inform people there won't be anything in the bar or the hotel breakfast and then people can make that choice i think to know that they'll be able to go to program or if they're dealers to come and deal at the convention and know that that people will be wearing masks around them and it gives them a level of protection. Some people may still say this is not enough and they still wouldn't come. And some people will say that's unpleasant. They don't want to sit in program in masks all day and do it. But it feels like that's a middle ground between the two extremes. We obviously can't please both extremes. So maybe I'm going for middle ground where we try and please someone. And maybe that's no good. Maybe it's better to go for one or the other. But that would be my current feeling about it. I'm I masked as a dealer in the dealer's room last year um, where you're masking continuously for eight hours um, doing that. And I found it extremely unpleasant um, because you have to talk to people, you have to engage in them with them. And that's really quite hard through a mask all day. I think I'd definitely be up for, well, we ask people going to the dealer's room and art show to mask, but I'm not convinced that we should mandate masking for the dealers and artists so that's a thing it's complicated but we had a lot of convention spaces that weren't dealers room or or... i feel very strongly uh, espania being unable to work for a week is less of an is, is more of an inconvenience than someone having to wear a mask for six hours i think what i find the most frustrating is the there seems to be an implicit assumption in the discussion that wearing a mask is equally unpleasant to having covid and i find that exhausting because I don't think that's true. No, it's not. Definitely worse having COVID. Even my COVID this time, which was much, much less bad than the other time or possible other two times. Because I, I don't enjoy wearing a mask, but I don't, have, I don't enjoy having COVID either. And I know which one I prefer. I think, there's a, I think what a lot of people would like to be able to do is not wear a mask and not get COVID. And I think those people are clearly very big fans of the fantasy genre. I don't think it works. And so I think you have to decide, would I rather have COVID or would I rather have the inconvenience of wearing a mask? And I am surprised by how many people seem to be on the other side of that argument to me. Um, but again, like, I respect that. I just, it catch me unawares. Okay, you've got quite a lot of people on your side. Um, there's quite a lot of public statements saying, oh, we would like this to be quite a lot stronger. We've had quite a lot of Email. This is a. I know this is a lurkers support me in email thing. But when we ask for feedback, which will pass to levitation, um, quite a lot of the feedback is saying we think you struck quite a good balance, and it's not your fault. Everyone got COVID. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think we're far enough after the convention now that I would say that although I was, I wasn't involved in the discussion of what our policy should be because dead parents, but um, I was happy to go along with the result in order you know in terms of communicating it and um, letting people know I think if people have followed our COVID policy we'd have had less COVID but they didn't um, which is a thing to say no I I want to I want to push back on this right because I have heard you said this a few times we did tell you in advance what the result of your COVID policy would be on this very podcast oh yeah you know you were right I, I want to say this on record, on the podcast, you were right about that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, hang on, let me just bask. Yeah, sorry, you were right about that. You told us it wouldn't work and you were right. Um, I want to also want to say, because it's now a month after the convention or something, um, my personal view was that we should have had a stronger COVID policy with mandatory masking in programme spaces and mandatory masking in corridors in convention spaces. Um and mandatory masking in the green room 
which I think was another place where we know COVID spread quite a lot. Or we think it's very likely COVID spread quite a lot. Masking in the green room would have been very difficult. It's hard. Yes. <laughs> because, because you would have needed... It was already quite difficult for people on Zoom to hear people through the laptops that had been set up on the tables in the green room. So, so for those who weren't at the convention, uh, it was hybrid, obviously, and that meant that some of the panels had um, remote participants. And so each each room, each program room in the hotel had a corresponding table in the green room, which had the laptop for the virtual green room for that program room on that table. And so when you went to green room, you had your table, which was your item, and then the laptop had the virtual people. And I, I, you'd have to probably think quite carefully about like ambient noise and microphones if you wanted that to work, which isn't to say it couldn't work, but... This is moving a little bit away from COVID, but that was the most experimental part of our um, hybrid design. And we doubled the size of the green room on Saturday afternoon, open brackets, after the horse had bolted, close brackets. But we should have had a twice as big a green room in the first place. And not doing so was a mistake for lots of reasons, um, including the, the hybrid elements of green room. Do you want to say things about COVID before I talk more about Green Room? Because I have more ideas about Green Room, Liz, but they're not really COVID-based. Yeah, let's. I think when we talk a bit more about hybrid and so on, we should talk about that. I mean, I think my my thoughts on COVID are we're, we're going to keep having this conversation. I would say that bear in mind that if you collect feedback directly after the convention, when you know maybe 120 of your members are quite ill, you may not get the the you know unbiased feedback. I think we're going to keep discussing it, but I think we need to also remember that masks are not the 100% solution or the only solution and be thinking about other ways we do things like the the ventilation in the bar was definitely poor. This was one of those cases where I may have appreciated what some hotels do where they shove all the con people in a separate breakfast room because maybe maybe that would have been better. I certainly put a mask on when I go up to get my breakfast from the breakfast buffet. And this is partly because I've been trained to in hotels where that is mandatory, but also it's quite nice. I'm not, you know, speeding like spit all over your like bacon and eggs. You know, it seems like quite a nice thing to do. So maybe that should be a thing people do. And for those who want that service, subscribe to Liz OnlyFans. <laughs> but yeah, I think we've got to take all that into account. We also got to think about, you know, better ventilation, what we can do maybe as a set of Easter cons, try and encourage that. I will say one place that I think conversation couldn't have known this, but it was true there was a very big space called the refectory with lots of chairs and tables spread out quite a lot where you could take food and drink and socialise and it was really underused and then everyone was crammed in the main bar. So maybe if you did have a fan bar a bit like reclamations where you had people spread out and they could get beer there, it might encourage people to just spread out a bit. But, you know, I think this is a this is an evolving thing but I think we do need to think about it because I, I mean, I personally am thinking, okay, I had a very nice time. I don't regret coming to EastCon. If I had got COVID, it could have been really disastrous. I could have been stuck in a hotel for a week. I could have had cancelled flights. You know, I could, I'm, I'm really, it does make me rethink whether I want to attend future EasterCons, unfortunately, because of the risk of disease and because of the risk of like disru massive disruption to my life. So I think the numbers basically are, if they stay this high, it will be hard to justify it more than occasionally. Yeah, we, we had the refectory. We probably could have done a lot more to say to people, this is a large, airy, ventilated space, because our programme rooms were all very well ventilated, um, that you could go and eat food and drink and chat to your friends. And it's going to be 
safer than the bar. I mean, I don't know if it was safer than the bar, but I think it probably was. And then we also had a mask required lounge, um, which wasn't used at all. But No, I, I don't know whether we talked about that before, but like the other part of the problem is I'm going to go to where my friends are. I'm not going to sit in the mask required bar and hope my friends come to me. So that is, that is tricky. I wanted to say, what did I want to say? This is, it's weird, I think, how much of these discussions are, there are things we've been asking for as a convention for ages. Like when the fan bar and the actual bar are opposite ends of the hotel, like before the pandemic, we were like, oh, why aren't they closer together? It's such a pain that if someone wants a gin and tonic, they have to be at this end of the hotel. But if someone wants a real ale, they have to be at that end of the hotel. Why can't we be in the same place? And then we've finally cracked that issue. And like, why can't we have breakfast with all of the normal people with the nice breakfast instead of being in a little ghetto? We've cracked that issue. And now the pandemic's happened. And we're like, why can't, why can't we be in our little ghetto? And why can't the real ale be the other side of the hotel? it's so unfair uh, and so that is that just occurs to me as like um you know it's like the the someone's clearly made a wish on a monkey paw uh for these things and that has uh, gone badly so if that was you write in uh, before we go off covid we're about to go off covid right so we haven't said the key word i would not like to be the levitation chair right now hello fara no it'll be a tricky job because you've got a lot of work collecting all these different things points of view together and ending up with something that works you should do a survey you should do a survey do a survey have like at scales i love a good survey yeah levitation do a survey ask your members what they actually think and do it in a way that means that it it won't their personal views will not be made public or get back to people who can harangue them a lot on the internet because there's some very harangy people on both sides of this argument I think it may be time for a survey. I, I'm just going to say I don't think it should just be Levitation members because obviously there will be people who aren't joining Levitation for that reason. But you probably don't want it to be completely open. But I mean, we have surveyed EasterCon members before in the future of EasterCon surveys. It might be time to do something like that. You're not going to guarantee it will change your positions, but it would be interesting to know how many people fall into which different set of opinions. I do love that we have people on both sides of this argument in this podcast. I think it would be very sad if I never saw John at a convention again, but, you know, I'd cope. Would you wear a mask if it meant you would see John at a convention? I see John at times other than conventions. But I am just going to say the other thing that would change a lot of this is if you could get a COVID booster from Boots and you could get it in late February because my attitude towards a lot of this would change drastically if I could reliably get a booster three weeks before the convention. I do very unsafe things at Novacon every year and I have not caught COVID at Novacon and that's because I always have my booster in October. Novacon's a month later. It's fine. If I could get, I would like to have a second booster a month before Eastercon and, and not only would I get one, but I get tell lots of people. I'd probably be sicker with the booster than I was with COVID this time, but at least I wouldn't worry that I was infecting all my friends. When you can plan it then, it's quite nice. Because uh, I, we had a Mike Wozniak gig and I was like, we'll be able to go to that because if we do get COVID, we'll have recovered by the time that happens. But then I ended up testing seven days after the convention positive and then I had to skip the gig. And that was incredibly irritating. Uh, so boo. And i got to be honest, that's the other thing, right? Like if next year there is a Mike Wozniak gig within a week of EasterCon, I might like Mike Wozniak's moustache more than I like EasterCon. You can quote me on that. It was spectacularly inconvenient for me catching COVID at Eastercon. Marianne also caught COVID and had to delay the start date of her job. So, you know, that is a pain in the arse. It's a very brief plug. So, I mean, I have no way of actually properly assessing this or not. But I bought a nasal spray with like one of these things that like 
just put stuff in your nasal mucus and puts, you know, antibodies up there or whatever. Like one of these boots, dual, like the, you know, your boots dual defensing. It's like that. Except it's also got anti-COVID antibodies in there. And I don't know if it made a difference or not, but it was not like horrible to do. And it was 15 quid and I put it up my nostrils twice a day. And I was definitely sitting around chatting with people who got COVID and I did not get COVID. So I think that will be part of my like regimen for, for future events, to be honest. Oh, I'm 100% up for that. Sounds good. Can't buy it. It's Thailand only. I'll bring you a bottle next time. I want to talk very quickly about the green room. This is one area where I think the way that uh, conversation did green room made me think that you could have done with a lot of tiny rooms like they have at the Park Inn in Heathrow because then you could have a tiny, you could have a green room per room and that would be quite good for stopping spread. I don't know. And the the problem is with conference centres, so I don't know whether this will work for Levitation or for Reconnect, which is the 2025 uh, Belfast Eastcon, because they're both convention centre Eastcons. But like, if you did have a lot of rooms that were too small to be useful, having different green rooms in them, if you were going to use the same model as Conversation, might potentially be a good way of doing things. I mean, it might also not be, uh, but it was just a thought I had. It's a bit of a probably paying for the green room stuff because to tell if people are actually there you can't check them in you need that entry gate really yeah i think we should i, I think we should have a hundred percent virtual green room i think the green room's an enormous faff and that people should just join in on log in on a zoom and and have their chat i but- cannot successfully overstate how much i disagree with uh with that uh no so okay so i think the green room i think there are three reasons i disagree <laughs> I will now I will now enumerate them. <laughs> Reason one, uh logging onto a Zoom. I didn't log on to the Zoom during the convention, and that adds a layer of things I have to worry about that I'm glad I didn't have to worry about. And I was glad that I could if I needed to, but I was equally glad I didn't have to. Second thing is I really like I, I, I really like having like my drink sorted before going to the panel rather than having it delivered to the room the panel is happening in so that i think would suffer a little bit but thirdly i quite like getting the vibe of my fellow panelists off stage before being on the panel with them especially if it's someone i don't know very well i kind of like being able to feel them out a bit i wouldn't have liked especially and i'm going to plug the adrian tchaikovsky interview again sorry listeners but especially when i met adrian tchaikovsky for the first time I'm glad that that like initial feeling each other out about the interview didn't happen virtually because I think doing it in person was probably a better way to get ready for the panel. So those are some unformed thoughts about about that. But it's definitely an idea. I hope that wasn't too strident. So yeah, I think the green room was very experimental. I hope we do more hybrid. I think hybrid was a huge success for this con. Um, yep. I love the way that on the on the friday morning everyone was like oh this item has a disembodied face coming in that's weird and by monday everyone was like oh no we've got a couple of virtual things and it was just part of what happened at the EastCon, and i think that's quite good um so props to jt who has worked incredibly hard for 18 months making this happen i tell you what jt's sad nod in the EastCon live uh, episode i really wish there'd been a camera on jt because that was one of the funniest what I can I didn't see his sad nod, so you'll have to describe it to me. You 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 said on you said on your big screen of doom, like I think JT's the tech lead for Glasgow. If he is, can he wave? Or maybe I said, if, if you are, can you wave? And he just did the saddest nod in the entire world, and it was incredibly funny. 
he always has at least one hilarious interjection in octothorpe live episodes EastCon, so that's good it's a good tradition yeah so i mean are we, are we talking virtual we can do this is the thing conversation did virtual like really really well I know there were like a few teething problems and, you know, maybe people who turned up to their virtual green rooms a bit late, cough, Alison. Um. <laughs> oh, I had, a, I had a massive, massive problem getting on. So that, that, was an, that was an unforeseen situation where he had to suddenly add in a Zoom stream that was not previously planned. But basically, it seemed to go really, really well. Now, I think now we know it can be done that well. I would feel much more confident about trying to do an Easter con uh, purely virtually because honestly i thought it would be either like some streams i could watch but they would occasionally crash or they wouldn't quite work on friday afternoon or you know they wouldn't be seamless and everything would be delayed like now i know it can be done and they look great and the panelists managed to join there's no problems with missing panelists and things i would be much more likely to do futurist cons virtually because i know it may work and so i don't know if conversation just I don't know whether you just didn't promote it in places I could see it or whether you were still a little bit wary of promoting it too heavily. But I saw a lot of, oh, there will be lots of hybrid stuff. But if it was like, you will be able to see everything except maybe the Lego room and it will all be streaming and it will be live and you can ask questions in, in Discord and it will be brilliant, then might have got like slightly more people joining virtually. I mean, I think that was always our vision, right? But you you don't want to say we're going to do this thing that nobody else has come anywhere close to too hard in case it's a disaster i'm incredibly proud of what we achieved um you you guys were both at the convention in person all of the time so you won't know that the discord was also absolutely exactly what i hoped a convention discord would be um and andrew and emily january take a huge amount of credit for making that happen and of course the discord started early we got over half the convention on onto the discord before the convention started which is part of our vision and then it carried on until until the end of the catch-up i don't know whether that will have happened or not by the time this episode drops for reasons but it might have happened so it actually does that thing and i'm going to claim some visionary bit for this my vision that the discord should surround and envelop the cons so that you have that sense of being part of it before it starts especially if you're new and you have that sense of it supporting the catch-up for the convention but it was also good people who came to the convention virtually felt that they were engaged socially with the convention as well as um as well as by watching the streaming which was another part of what i very much hoped would happen i do just want to say that even though i was at the convention in MeetSpace, i did be on the discord I think any even purely meat space conventions should have good discords um, because even if you're not attending at all hybridly or virtually, um, I think having a strong discord is just such a boon. I would agree with that, but there is an issue for large conventions, which is that we manually gate them. Um, we believe it's possible to run an automatic gate into Discord because obviously Patreons and so on do it. And James Shields is having a think about that at Andrew January. But unless we can get an automatic gate, we can't manage this for, say, the Worldcon. We'll need to use another less good solution. I mean, I think we can have an automatic gate. James and Andrew, if you're listening, I'd be interested in being in that working group trying to do that automatically. I am concerned that... Worldcon is considering single sign-on solutions and certainly as at the last time I looked at them they were all still appalling 
Chicon's use of air meat was dreadful. Um, and I think we need to do better. And Discord is the obvious way to do it. And I feel like, you know, obviously this may be all sorted by next year. Discord threads for program items are amazingly good. They are the best thing, even if it's not Octothorpe and you have 310 people posting memes and taking making, taking the piss. But I mean, you know, serious Discord threads are also great. Even if you can't do automatic onboarding, which I think you can, the other thing you could do is manually add people to a read-only Discord like a year and a half out because that is also possible um it's less it's less elegant but it is possible yes but then you have to moderate your discord for a year and a half no 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 read only you you can give everyone a role that lets them see one channel they can't post in and that is entirely possible it would be less good though okay yep um glasgow if you're um listening to this i am happy to manually gate everybody into your discord a year and a half out in along the lines that um john suggests i I wouldn't i mean can you choose a better time period to do it because if you do it year and a half out a bunch of people are going to change their email addresses forget the discord logins you know before the con but not like now it would be much better to have an automatic solution it 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 did seem to me that the kind of discord plus zoom plus whatever magic jt was doing to stream to hidden youtube streams was the best way of doing it. I mean, I guess it had the problem that you could, in theory, send people the links to the YouTube streams because they weren't actually gated. But it did seem to work better than AirMe. I mean, the main the main issue with it was just actually getting people logged on because I don't think James Shields' uh, registration system is actually designed for that. Yeah, there was a bug in the registration. What we should have done with the great evidence of high slices if we'd had a couple of streaming items a couple of weeks before the convention the same way that we opened the discord if we said also check that your streaming system works by logging on as streaming this test item um we'd have got a lot of people in through that and we would have it probably wouldn't have been all of them but we'd have identified the bug in the registration system that meant that we ended up with a 10 10 step process in time that we could sort it out because by the time we did realize we had a problem the convention had started and we couldn't possibly have um, implemented a fix are you suggesting some some kind of some kind of testing of software is is a good thing the other thing i wanted to say on virtual is that the one area that we fell down was face-to-face um socials like like zoom socials because we were hoping that that would happen through the discord av tables and it just didn't and I would like that's something that I think you do need to put a volunteer into early to make happen and um and and people designing future hybrid conventions need to put a bit more um energy into that that particular element of things which slightly surprised me. I thought that once we had virtual things and encouraged people to use them that would be enough but it wasn't. What what were you hoping that people would just sort of sit at a virtual table in the hope that someone else might come along to chat to them at the virtual table? Well, I thought that a few people would. I mean, that did that has worked at some cons, but, you know. I mean, I don't think you had enough purely, like, if you weren't a virtual member, then you were probably in the refectory or the bar or maybe somewhere with slightly better ventilation. I don't think you had enough people in the right time zones to make that work. Because remember, a lot of your hybrid attendees, you know, if I was hybrid, I'm not turning up to the bar at the bar times because I'm asleep. So I, I just think, like... Yeah, I I don't know. I it seems incredibly optimistic to think that like this will self organize itself. I think just a kind of like this is our morning Zoom social, this is our evening Zoom social would have probably worked. 
Yeah, I mean, we had a couple of cafe mousses and they went quite well as hybrids. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, but mousse has already got people who basically people who know how Zoom socials work and kind of, you know, I mean, I guess maybe most people do by now. But yeah, I still think you need a bit of like uh, handholding to make sure everyone gets there and, and figures it out and, and has a nice socially time. No, because obviously Zoom socials at hybrids are very important to me. But um, if I'm attending a convention virtually, I just make sure they happen, even if they're not on the programme and not part of the plan. Um, but obviously, if I'm attending a convention in person, I'm not going to spend hours on Zoom um, unless I find myself stuck in my hotel room. But I wasn't actually stuck in my hotel room with COVID for very long and I was quite busy. So I did think, I mean, I've been to the hotel before. I've never actually stayed in that hotel. Um, I treated myself to an actual room in the hotel. Which was nice, except for the weird, my, my personal one. Why do the hotel rooms not have any drawers in? Who decided to get weird nightstands with tripod well, legs? This, is, this hotel room I'm currently in also does not. It is, it is in fashion, Liz. Drawers are for idiots. Shelves and hangers are in vogue. And whoever decided that, ugh. I mean, sh- our, our room, which was a suite in the, um, in the Hilton did not have it's not that it didn't have drawers because i think not having drawers is a great idea the problem with drawers is that people leave their stuff in them but if you have shelves that fulfill the function of drawers that's still a lot better than not having them um but their view seemed to be that your entire storage would be the rack that you put your suitcase on and because our car was so full our suitcases were actually just packing cubes so so we didn't have anything we you know if we'd had shelves that would have been something I would accept shelves. I mean... This room has two shelves and room for about hanging 20 pieces of clothes, which is... I mean, I can hang all my t-shirts up, but i got to be honest, usually I keep them in a folded pile, and I imagine I am not atypical. Or I'm atypical in many ways, but not in this particular one. I can't imagine the circumstances in which I'd hang up a t-shirt, really. When there's no drawers or shelves, that's when you hang up a t-shirt. No, I just leave them in an orderly pile on the floor, Liz. Oh yeah, I don't I oh, no. don't put yeah, my clothes on the floor. Oh no, I mean I've got I've got standards. Yeah. I mean I also bought a lot of clothes when I was there, so I did really want somewhere to kind of sort them and stash them until I took them home. And yeah. But otherwise, I think that is a nice hotel. I think it is one of my favourite of the Eastercon hotels we've been to recently, just because it's it's big. I never had to queue for a program room. There was just tons of space in nearly all of them. The corridors are big. It's not it is a bit maze-like, but it's not as bad as some of the others. You can have a nice big dealer's room. It's just, it's, and it's it's not too difficult to get to. You know, it is in walking distance of a mainline train station. Admittedly, you have to walk through the NEC, which may be full of 40,000 people um, who all want to play Call of Duty. But on the way back to the train station on the last night, I had to walk through the NEC and they wanted to check my bag. And I was like, well, what, what happens if you don't line my bag? I'm not walking around. I'm going through to the train station. And um, I got very grumpy. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't like having to have a random man check in my bag so I can walk to a train station without having to go around the way that takes three times as long. But that is a minor uh, complaint. Uh, in general, Birmingham is very well con- connected and um, I quite like it as a venue for the Eastcon in general. Anything else people want to say? We should probably say the programme was amazing. Well done, Z. Oh yes, no. The programme was really good. The catch-up was really good. The hybrid was really good. The real ale, I quite liked. Uh, um, the porter was good. I like the real ale. 
It, it wasn't as good as it could have been, but it was pretty bloody good. And it was a lot better than last time or the time before or the time before that when we've been in that hotel. So, yay. However, seven quid. Seven pounds for a pint. My brain cannot process this. Yep. So that was a lot. But my theory was that people would grumble, but they would pay it. And that seems to be correct. Caroline was very worried that we wouldn't meet our food and beverage. And <laughs> and John Dobb was like, oh, Caroline, you do not need to worry. We passed it on Friday evening. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people ate in oh, the hotel the as well. Oh, the food trucks. The food trucks were great. Did the food trucks count towards your food and drinks, Ben? Yes. Ah, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> Life hack. That is very clever. Food trucks and the real ale and all of the hotels, um, bar stuff. So all the, I'm pretty sure that all of, what was it called, insomnia people who were staying in the hotel and who were drinking and eating in the Hilton bar in the evenings, of whom there were quite a lot, all counted to our food and beverage spend. Because <laughs> there was no way to differentiate that from, from um, convention spend, right? No, no, yeah, no, it's fair enough. I think I drank fewer pints because they were seven quid. And also, they were nice. I didn't think the convention-specific beer was very nice. But the other ones were nice. But uh, I don't know if I'm out of touch or what, but seven pounds. That was the Old Thor Podcast, and it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. So I don't know if this is something that you guys will appreciate, but Caroline Mullen has just messaged me to say, Alison, are you all right? You haven't posted anywhere on anything since this morning. Have we been podcasting so long that people are worried about you? Yes, we've been podcasting for three hours. This is a savage indictment of how permanently online you are and also how long we have been doing this. We have been doing it a long time. Yeah. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.